This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, we often talk about the need for law enforcement officers to be professionals and one step in distinguishing from the minimum training and experience that can be found at a higher education level. What does that mean? We're expected to do a job. We're expected to be all-knowing. And how can we accomplish that with the training that we get at our own agencies? Well, the benefits can include improving a better understanding of laws and policies to becoming a better communicator, both verbally and on the written page, to becoming more socially aware from interactions with professors and peer students. The University of Virginia has long been linked to law enforcement practices through the association with the FBI National Academy in Quantico, Virginia, and with respected law enforcement leaders on faculty such as Lexapol's Gordon Graham and today's guest, Brian Gustafson. Brian Gustafson is an assistant professor and director of the Master of Public Safety program at the University of Virginia. He works with a team of exceptional colleagues to deliver a robust educational experience that empowers today's public safety leaders for tomorrow's challenges. Previously, Dr. Gustafson served in a variety of public service roles. He was unanimously elected as the 50th Chief Sergeant at Arms by the California State Assembly for its 2017-2018 session. Prior to that, he was Chief of Police at the Stockton Unified School District Police Department and Chief of Standards, Evaluation, and Research at the California Department of Justice Commission on Peace Officers Standards and Training. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Professor Brian Gustafson. Oh, thank you, Jim. It's a real pleasure to be here. Hey, tell us about uh, why would somebody in public safety, in uh, sheriff's department or police department, why why seek a master's degree? Uh, you know, that's a, a great question, and I think it probably depends a lot on the the individual. Um, you know, uh, there's a, a a huge debate uh, just about uh, the bachelor's degree, honestly, and um, you know, I think. Uh, policing leaders and researchers, you go back 100 years to August Vollmer, uh, up through, you know, contemporary people like David Carter, or even work by Sarah McClellan and me, and, and there's strong evidence that you get these better outcomes associated with, uh, with degreed officers uh, overall. You know, and I say better outcomes, uh, because it's, it's a variety of things from some that are easy to count, like fewer complaints and less use of force, uh, to others that are more abstract, uh, higher levels of empathy, improved communication skills. So uh, I think at a basic level, the degree becomes a proxy for a lot of things that are hard to measure and often come with you know, maturity and awareness. So, you know, um, it, it might be more important to someone earlier in their career than someone who has, you know, been successful and got uh, a lot of years under their belt. Um, uh, but I think it's it's why many public safety agencies that do require a degree, you know, take the FBI, for example, aren't really specific about what the degree is in, you know, just that you have one. Um, and, and I think um, 
most of us can probably think of some anecdotal idiots with degrees or uh, geniuses <laughs> without them, uh, but that's not the norm. Uh, so I think that's the kind of that proxy piece that, that kicks in. And so that's, that's kind of the basic benefits to someone in that public safety career who, who wants to get the job and get it done well. Um, but then to your point, you know, it's, it's someone uh, who might want to go to that next level. If you're looking to move into supervisory or leadership positions, uh, the degree is commonly a requirement anymore. And, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that idea of being professionals. Uh, I think that, that hits on a big aspect where there's this uh, social expectation now that most people who are making complex, important decisions for others have that formal education. Yeah, and we heard during the defund argument, we heard the the critics saying that, you know, for some post um, training, uh, for someone to get through a post um, to get their their law enforcement credential, that there were less hours required than for some beauticians. And so we're, we're roundly criticized for that. And and I know a lot of officers will go and, and fund their own training outside their agency. Uh, in my career, I was lucky enough to go to the FBI Academy, and I actually transferred, I think, 12 or 14 units towards my degree uh, from the University of Virginia, from uh, the FBI Academy. That was a great experience, and um, I really appreciate it. How did you transition to making that a master's degree at the University of Virginia? You know, it's just exactly what you described. So many people went through the National Academy. Um, I was one of them who, while I was at the NA, I, I went to the, the University of Virginia office there in the library at uh, the FBI Academy. And I, I met with the person. I said, hey, I, I'd love to get a master's degree. And, and the, the response was, oh, w when are you ready to move to Charlottesville? <laughs> and, and, and I said, uh, ever. <laughs> um, and, and so I ended up, uh, you know, transferring my units elsewhere. And I think that uh, over the years, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, asked that question. And then, of course, with the the uh, growth of online learning and, and the better technologies uh, that, that have made it uh, in some ways uh, better than, than the in-person classroom because of the diversity of people you're able to bring together, uh, the, the university really um, supported the, the launch of this program to meet that need. Yeah, and so, I mean, it's great to have, you know, that sheet of paper, but I mean, in, real, in, in reality, um, I can see the benefits in, in law enforcement and policing, not only to, um, you know, patrol officers, and I, I want to ask you about that, but in moving up the ranks, when you get into these sort of mid-management to high-level management positions in, in law enforcement, oftentimes we are thrust into positions that we are not prepared for, that I never saw coming when I you know, put the pen to paper on my police department application that said, you're going to one day in, be in charge of uh, legal matters for the police agency, or you're going to be in charge of administration, and that covers um, the finances and uh, the budget for the police department, which at the time was $300 million in my agency. And, you know, I wanted to scream, hey, you guys better take a look at my checkbook because are you sure you want me in charge of our budget? So in that way, we learn so much in the required classes for a bachelor's degree, but it's even better when we get to that master's degree where we, we look at things that, like statistics and management policy making and things like that. What's the advantage for the patrol officer to, or, or why would a patrol officer get a master's degree? 
Yeah, I think that uh, you know many of the points that you just uh, made uh, to be able to um, to be competitive and to be able to uh, you know market themselves as the right person for you know that that role that in many ways uh, will have little to do with um, policing, right? Um, you can imagine where you know that undergrad degree in in criminal justice or sociology or psychology, you know, you learn a lot that is going to help you to, to interact with uh, victims and suspects and the general public. Um, but, but yeah, $300 million budget, uh, you know, your, your undergrad degree uh, in psych doesn't, uh, doesn't set you up for that. And so with, um, with that master's program, you really get to, um, at least in our case at UVA, build something that is that is meaningful for you. And so we have a, a 10 class uh, program. And so half of those are electives, uh, which you can take uh, across a, our whole range of um, graduate certificate programs. So uh, human resources management, uh, cybersecurity, um, budgeting and HR, uh, you know, general leadership, uh, public administration and government, you know, these kinds of things that will, will help you to understand how to generate that budget comp uh, proposal, what it is to do position control in an agency, all of those nuts and bolts that are, are very different than, uh, you know, uh, arresting people or preventing crime. Yeah, and so they, you know, they prepare us to better work with the other uh, agency heads for other departments, um, civilian departments, not just law enforcement or public safety related. Um, how does it help uh, better prepare us to work in a community environment or in community engagement? Yeah, well, I'm sure it depends on the degree. Uh, speaking specifically to uh, the Master of Public Safety, the MPS, um, I think it develops uh, greater humility and listening skills that awareness and appreciation for what, what I and many people would call, you know, the, the shades of gray around most of our public safety issues. Uh, and you kind of get that deepened understanding and facility with communication and engagement techniques. Um, I think there, there are so many problematic platitudes out there. Uh, you know, you hear this, this idea that public safety need leaders, they need to be bold and decisive. Um, they just need to do the right thing, or they should empower everyone they work with. And I hear things like this, and I think, maybe, yes, and uh, there are times to be bold and decisive. Um, clearly, there, there are things that are right and need to be done, um, and there are times when it's appropriate to empower people, but none of those are most of the time in my experience. And so I think... Um, a program like ours really brings in uh, a lot of social science and uh, exposure to others and other ideas uh, that teach us that one of the greatest skills a leader can have is listening um, and admitting that they can't possibly have all the answers and that they need to work with others to make their decisions um, collaboratively. You know, most of the time, there isn't a black or white wrong or right thing to do. <laughs> Usually there are a thousand shades of gray and competing interests and outcomes and the path forward isn't simple and obvious or, you know, we'd all be police chiefs. Um, but so most of the time too, the, the public safety leader doesn't want to empower people. I'll give a shout out to um, the International Association for Public Participation uh, known as IAP2. They've developed this spectrum of participation and it ranges from inform on the low end uh, this is that one-way transmission of information. Think uh, the road is closed. Our office opens at eight. <laughs> um, you know, basic broadcasting of info. And then the other end of their spectrum is empowerment. 
And that's really when you're giving the decision entirely to someone else or another group. And then in between these extremes, there are you know, things like consult, involve, uh, and collaborate. And so I'll tell you, during my time as a police chief, there weren't a lot of people I wanted to empower uh, to make decisions. And I think it was especially true when I was thinking of the public. You know, I'm, I'm not going to empower you to decide how to do my deployment or, you know, uh, what, what uh, discipline should look like. Uh, consult, yes. Involve, sure. Collaborate occasionally. Um, but those are the kinds of, I think, skills and nuance that the MPS program spends a lot of time on. And it makes a difference in how public safety leaders uh, interact and, and lead. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I love your, the way you distinct, distinguish the differences in those styles and, and in empowering when, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, policing is a paramilitary uh, organization and not everybody can, can take the lead, right? It's not the chief of the day that we pass the baton on to someone else. Uh, so yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. I want to ask you about training and uh, some of the dif different pedagogy styles. And I want to get to that in a minute. But first, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. And we're back and we're speaking with Brian Gustafson, Assistant Professor and Director of the Master of Public Safety Program at the University of Virginia. Now, yours is a Master in uh, Public Safety? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, when we talk about public safety, um, you know, we have certain goals and milestones that we want to hit along the way. You know, um, sometimes I wonder if we do operate in a vacuum in that, um, you know, if you're familiar with the posts, I mean, you've, you've done a lot of work in, in posts uh, in California, and I'm, I'm sure in Virginia. In, um, in our own teaching, are we limited at our own police academies in in teaching historically without looking at the new pedagogy styles? Is there something that we could bring from University of Virginia to teaching recruits at, at their entrance into the career? Wow, that, that's a great question. And I think that, that the answer is yes. There's absolutely um, some pedagogical uh, skills and, and technique that we could bring to the academy. And I think it's a, a real mixed bag in, in America, what different posts are doing. And, uh, you know, there have been some, um, some standout leaders. Um, you know, I think California Post did a, a, a good job um, creating the kind of the, the problem-based learning and the ill-structured problem where, you know, instead of um, giving you uh, some material and then asking you questions about it, you know, they would construct a, a scenario and a real world um, kind of problem that would then 
require you to pull from those different materials that you know a good good recruit would have studied. Um, but uh, you know, kind of breaking down those those uh, silos of okay, well, this week we're on use of force, and now we're on property crimes, and uh, you know, a number of places, uh, you know, Washington State uh, is another that uh, have really kind of uh, gone to this uh, more holistic style of learning that I think is consistent with uh, with university teaching. You know, if you um, are, are taking a, a class in um, criminal justice, um, you don't just, uh, you know, study this idea that, uh, you know, there, there was a shoplifting and it's this violation, right? You, you kind of set up the whole scenario of, uh, you know, who is the victim and what is the circumstance and who is the suspect and what led to this. And, and it's a, a more um, narrative kind of storytelling way of understanding how things happen. And I think if we uh, did a little bit more of that in our, our recruit training, it, it of course would take more time, um, you know, than, than just having um, uh, neat domains of information. But I think it would, it would give people better context to be able to apply it than when they're out on patrol. Yeah, I mean, I think those are all great methods. And I'd be remiss without mentioning that Professor Janae Gasparini, a colleague of mine who, who is a former cop and, and professor in New York, we're going to be uh, presenting at an FTO conference uh, later this year in bringing pedagogy to field training and for FTOs to use uh, different approaches. Uh, I mean, just as you described in the academy, you know, we can be so linear and we move on from a, a learning domain right into something else. And, you know, it's it's in one ear and out the other. They, they prepare for the test, they take the test and then they're, they, they're gone. Like good luck retaining that, right? Yes. So we're gonna be talking about different styles that are more, you know, uh, impressionable and long lasting. So I'm glad you talked about some of those. Uh, how do MPS courses help the students understand in policymaking, how that's done? I know a lot of, you know, we talk on the program about policy going from a chief through management to a sergeant to the troops. And sometimes the message gets lost. And sometimes it's because we you know, the, the line officer doesn't fully understand all that went into policymaking. So, so what are you doing uh, at University of Virginia to help make that you know, more clear? Yeah, I think that's a, a strength for the program and there, there are probably several aspects to it. And first, and I think it gets at the point that you just made, is we, we take this whole of government approach and, and consider the, the many facets of social problems and solutions as opposed to, um, you know, the, this narrow, here's what our department does when we interact with this, this challenge, you know, homelessness or, or drug use or something like that. Um, you know, public safety is complicated. And so, you know, systemic issues, uh, violent crime, massive wildfires, data security, all, all these things aren't solved by a single department. So I think we start with that perspective, uh, which helps us to avoid the, the siloed single discipline thinking that often will oversimplify uh, issues or, or will model an intervention that, that works on paper, but not in practice. Um, and, and then we look at policymaking um, from this American value lens of the consent of the governed. Um, so this, this idea that it's all social construction our laws, our norms, they're all based on these democratic systems that respond to changes in society. So public safety policymaking has to keep step with public values and that 
that really requires an enduring commitment to community engagement, uh, like we, we touched on uh, earlier. And, and that is often happening, you know, at that line level. And so you, you really, if you're doing good policymaking, uh, it isn't uh, just the executive committee, uh, you know, sitting around in their, their Monday, um, you know, briefing with the chief, uh, you really need to bring in everybody that is, that is touching this thing. And finally, at, at UVA, because everyone involved, our, our faculty, our students, everyone's kind of deeply committed to this implementation of public safety in practice, um, we approach it um, from, from this pragmatic lens as opposed to uh, an idealized frame of reference that you might get in, in many policy courses. Um, so our HR and budget course will look at the, the whole picture of staffing and funding uh, for a given uh, government entity and not just at, at that student's department budget, right? Because we can always imagine, uh, we know we'd like to increase this 5% or that, but you know, if, if, the, if the fire department has just had several of their engines burned down, uh, you know that there's, there's gonna be a budget change proposal to make up for that deficit and you need to be thinking about that when you put yours forward so uh, I think kind of being able to, to put it into practice and and deal with uh, with the bigger picture is a, a strength that our program brings and I think it's uh, it's important for for those people looking to do that policy work mm. so you know for for years uh, I mean for as long as I can remember 40 years or so if if a an officer wanted to um, extend their training beyond the academy, get a bachelor's degree, get a master's degree, they were on their own, out of pocket. And you know, thankfully, there are some um, places we can go to get training to get a master's degree, a bachelor's degree, or even a master's degree that's paid for. Uh, I'm thinking of the national uh, or the the naval postgraduate degree um, in Monterey and in New York, where uh, if you've got an interest in homeland security, you can apply. It's a really rigorous application, but it's essentially a free master's degree. You know, we've heard the criticism, like I mentioned at the beginning, of uh, police not being educated enough. Are there any national uh, moves or programs uh, that would financially aid an officer interested in improving their education, getting the, uh, the advanced degrees? You know, I wish there was. Um, yeah, you, you probably remember uh, the LEAP program, uh, law enforcement education program. And, and um, you know, your, your mention of 40 years is, is really a key to this, right? So LEAP um, ran from the late 60s up through about 1980, and it would fund uh, higher education for police. And so, so lots of cops uh, got degrees uh, during that time. A lot of uh, great people that I, I worked for um, you know, took advantage of that. Um, and we haven't seen any meaningful or certainly a successful push for that at the national level in the, in the 30 years that I've been involved. And um, you know, in our program, I know that there are a handful of students whose agencies are paying for them to go uh, and get their degree. And so, you know, that's great, but that's, you know, a small percentage. Uh, there, there are some that uh, get, you know, tuition reimbursement or support from uh, their agency. And um, a couple have gotten uh, scholarships from local service clubs. Um, but overall, uh, it's, it's really uh, limited. And, um, uh, I'm working on a development campaign uh, that would fund scholarships for uh, master public safety students. So if any of your listeners happen to be philanthropists in need of a cause, I'd, I'd love to hear from them. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that national um, 
support. You know, you, the president's commissions keep talking about the importance of degrees, but but nobody's put money behind it uh, in a big way. Okay, well, thanks for the shout out. I'm gonna. I'm sure Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk are listening, and shout out to them. <laughs> Fund a cop. Yeah, I mean, you know, we with all of the different programs, and um, you know, I just heard today that uh, we can we can have good public safety and we can have good um, law enforcement and crime control. You know, they're not. Uh, separate issues. We can have both. Well, it would be great to see some leadership, you know, out of DC to to help with funding, like, you know, put your money where your mouth is. You want better educated cops, you know, help us out. Um, let's, let's wind down. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about your time and, and I want to ask you about the rhetoric from the past two years. So the defund movement, if you will, affected, you know, the way that we've, we've done uh, education uh, the way we've changed curriculums. What's going on at the University of Virginia in that respect? That's an important question, uh, I think, for, for all of us. And, um, you know, I, I would say that it has really um, kind of cemented the approach that I described earlier, this, um, this very humanistic uh, way of viewing uh, society and public safety. And because I think uh, overall, uh, our institutions, most public safety organizations, they've made huge investments in technological advancement, right? That's useful, appropriate. Uh, but at the same time, we've had this falling away in our, our civic infrastructure. Uh, we have great data dashboards, uh, analytical models, hardware, um, but we don't talk to each other in our communities. And I'm generalizing broadly, of course, but you know, I think the defund movement uh, illustrated that there's a, a significant portion of society that is angry, upset, dissatisfied, uh, and they, they don't know how to fix it. Um, and so they have this catchphrase, right? And that's a, a useful uh, contrivance to create affinity and organize people who might not otherwise be connected. But I think once you get beyond that phrase, you find a lot of difference because it's, it's not a monolith, right? Uh, not everyone who utters defund the police has the same problem uh, definition or solution in mind. Um, and of course, there are some abolitionists who want to get rid of the police. And there are some defenders, you know, who think police can do no wrong. Uh, but I think those are the fringes. Um, and, and so our, our MPS uh, program, one of our core courses has students actually investigate this, this very question, right? Uh, they're supposed to uh, find what the real issue is behind the defund rhetoric in their community. So they have to go and, and find what the critics in their community are troubled about specifically. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really interesting what, uh, what I see coming through those assignments, um, where, um, Mostly, mostly it's consistent with, uh, with kind of the, the research and national survey findings. I mean, uh, and frankly, the ballot measures that, uh, you know, went through last year, uh, we've seen that people don't want to get rid of police, but they do want to improve policing. And, and I think that that improvement looks different in different places, uh, you know, the miracle of federalism. So, so that's kind of where the MPS starts. It's grounded in this pragmatism where we at, at uh, my program, we don't believe the world's ready for a post-police era. Mm. Uh, you know, someday, I hope so, that'd be great, <laughs> uh, but we're not there yet. <laughs> so when there's a, a rape, murder, human trafficking, identity theft, ransomware, an international Ponzi scheme, we don't believe that those uh, issues can be 
can be dealt with by well-intentioned resident volunteers, right? So, so the MPS is, is committed to expertise and, and this assumption that society needs government and government needs a police power. So I'll just say, you know, anarchists need not apply. <laughs> um, but seriously, uh, though, from that point forward, we're, we're steadfast um, proponents of discourse. So I'm talking John Dewey, the public and its problems, uh, Fisher and Forrester, the argumentative turn. It's this idea that, that we have issues that are different for different people in different places, and we have to engage in, in community dialogue to achieve common understandings and co-create solutions. Um, so the, the MPS program is really about thought leadership at the, the organizational and community level. And, and I think that is... Um, is what we need to be able to, you know, address rhetoric, which is, you know, indicative of someone's con concern, right? Um, but, but really doesn't get it, whatever that issue is. Yeah, that's that's a great approach, and it's refreshing to hear that we are encouraging critical thinking rather than indoctrination. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, oftentimes I'm I'm hearing, you know, uh, in in higher learning about uh, rhetoric and persuasive of thinking and how we're looking at research to prove our point. But I love the idea of critical thinking, of finding uh, differences uh, and arguments on the, on the topic and, and researching them and bringing them forward uh, and letting the reader decide. So kudos to you for that and, and for focusing on you know, law enforcement um, and improving law enforcement along the way. How else can our listeners hear about the program? And uh, I, I'm assuming you're taking all comers from across the, the U.S. Uh, you know, we, we are. And I, I would note that, that we, we do focus on people um, who, who have experience and are in a, at least a supervisory or leadership position. I think it's one of the things that, that really differentiates our program is that uh, you're, in a, you're in a classroom with other people who have uh, you know, deep experience in, in whatever it is you're, you're talking about. Um, and so, um, you know, you, you, you don't have, um, you know, people who are nothing wrong with this, but you, you don't have somebody who's been a realtor for 10 years and now decides they want a master's degree in public safety. Um, you know, everybody has subject matter expertise and experience and it is working in, in the real world. So, um, and that's true of our, our faculty too, you know, people, people like Gordon Graham. And, uh, and I, I just have to mention, you know, we, uh, it's a, a coup for our program. Uh, we, just hired the sitting chief justice of California uh, to teach our, our constitutional law class. So uh, Tani Kentil Sakayue, um, you know, she is uh, one of the most significant jurists in America. Um, she wrote the, uh, rather signed the first DNA search warrant in this country. And, you know, she's on our faculty, but um, really thrilled about uh, all the, the great people have come together. So yes, we are, are taking applications for uh, summer and fall and, um, we, we really um, want to, to engage people who want to uh, be the change that, uh, that our industry is uh, facing. That's great. So <clears throat> we will post the, the website in our show notes. Uh, and from there, I'm taking it that, they can, that um, people can apply. Absolutely. You know, if, uh, Google two acronyms, UVA MPS, so UVA space MPS, and it'll be your, your first uh, search result. Great. And if you haven't 
received your undergraduate degree. We just started a new cohort at San Francisco State. I'm going to give my own plug. It's our continuing education. Yes, CEL program. And I'm teaching one of the courses in uh, research methods in criminal justice. So yeah, get that bachelor's, get the master's at UVA, and you will be all set. Hey, thanks so much for taking time with us today, Brian Gustafson, uh, former chief and now at the University of Virginia. And uh, good luck with the master's program. Thanks so much, Jim. It was a real pleasure. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's program. Uh, tell me what you think. Uh, send us an email at policingmatters at police1.com. Policingmatters at police1.com. We'd love to hear from you. Let me know if you have a topic in mind or a speaker you'd like to hear from, and we'll get them signed up real soon. All right, take good care, stay well, and we hope to hear from you soon. <laughs>